welcome to the Black Lawyers Matter podcast, providing you with invaluable pieces of career wisdom, brought to you by the Stephen James Partnership and Black Lawyers Matter. I'm your host, Samuel Clegg. Across the podcast, I'll be speaking to a host of esteemed leaders, thinkers, and inspiring figures from within the legal profession to understand why diversity is important to their organization and how they've excelled throughout their careers. Through these inspirational and educational conversations, we will be equipping you with the skills, knowledge and acumen necessary to not only navigate the legal landscape, but to thrive within it. Good afternoon and welcome to the Black Lawyers Matter podcast. Uh, Today, I'm delighted to be joined by senior partner and head of Moore Barlow's award-winning major trauma service, Trevor Sterling. Trevor is uh, highly recognised in the legal sector and was the UK Diversity Legal Awards Lawyer of the Year in 2019, Personal Injury Team of the Year uh, in 2019 as well, as well as being highly commended at the Law Society Excellence Awards in 2019. Trevor also made history as the first appointment as a senior partner uh, at Moore Barlow and the UK law firm's top 100 first black senior partner. So Trevor, I hope I got all of that right. But yes, welcome today and thank you for taking the time out to have a chat. How are you? How are you doing? Oh, I'm very well. The only thing that was missed from the list, thank you for that, it's very kind of you, was the legal personality of the uh, in, the, in the most recent year. So that was a, a joy to receive from the law society. But thank you. Excellent. Well, apologies for that. I was, I was trying to go off your LinkedIn profile, but um, yeah, maybe I uh, scrolled down a little bit too far. Look, it's a pleasure to have you on, Trevor, and appreciate you taking the time out. I guess one of the first bits I wanted to dig into a little bit is we've had briefly your professional kind of some of what you've achieved so far and some of the things that you're currently involved in. But it'd be great to find out a little bit more about kind of about your life outside of law, Trevor. So. Perhaps you could talk us through some of the things that you like doing kind of outside of practicing as a lawyer. Well, I suppose uh, the first thing to say, I'm a father of three, three young uh, and active kids, all of which are, are very creative. None of them look like they're going to follow my path in, in the law. Uh, one of them's a singer, the other one's a, a, a gymnast, um, and the other one's a drummer. Um, so spent a lot of my time uh, being an active father, but most of my time outside of work is chairing a charity, which is very much close to my heart. I'm the chair of the Mary Seacole Trust. And for those that don't know, Mary Seacole, often referred to as the Black Florence Nightingale, she went to the Crimean War, a Jamaican uh, who came to Britain. Uh, it is said she was rejected and then made her own way out to the Crimea when she gave support to the British soldiers. And she's uh, renowned for, for being a woman who during the Victorian period um, was was very compassionate, caring, an entrepreneur, and in fact, a, a, an authoress at, at that time. So uh, the charity is important. Following a 12-year campaign, there was a statue erected of her at the uh, St. Thomas's Hospital in London. And I took over the role of chair from Lord Soley in 2016. And we now use Mary as a symbol to promote uh, social equality. So we are very active in uh, many different areas, uh, including having been active in the Windrush cam- campaign as a result of the scandal. We run an education program where we ask school children to ident- identify their modern day 
Mary and a leadership program uh, for those within the NHS and indeed more widely to help them break through the glass ceiling that exists. So much of my time really is spent um, working, supporting and leading a Mary Seacole Trust charity. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And with regards to work, Trevor, can you, I guess if we rewind a, a couple of years, go back to the start of your legal career. Uh, first of all, how did you get into the career of, of being a lawyer? Well, I wish it were a couple of years. <laughs> um, it's now a good few years. Um, but by good by, by luck, I, I left school really not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, I was 16, uh, turning 17, and was contacted by a careers advisor uh, who gave me three job options. Um, I remember them well as if it was yesterday. Uh, one was a tennis racket stringer, one was a warehouseman, uh, and the third was simply as a, an outdoor clerk uh, for a law firm. And, and it was by good fortune uh, that I chose the, the third option. And I started as an outdoor clerk with little qualification. Um, but I, I really felt um, that uh, this was something which uh, I could achieve at. And um, it made me recognise how I'd underachieved at school. And so I spent the following years working uh, studying evenings, in the evenings, weekends, uh, correspondence courses, doing whatever I could um, to, to try and achieve a qualification. And eventually I qualified as a legal executive and then a solicitor um, and became uh, the youngest partner of that firm at the age of 28, Rowley Ashworth, which was a trade union firm. And, and from there, it, it's just been about commitment to to the law. Uh, I've been involved in some incredible cases and they've given me a profile. So as you probably know, I was the co-lead lawyer in the, of the Jimmy Savile child abuse cases and been involved in thalidomide and Westminster terror attacks and took a case to the House of Lords. So with, with that recognition uh, and with my determination really to try and push through and break through um, the glass uh, ceiling, um, I, I, I moved to change firm uh, and at the new firm again I was, I was a partner and that's where I ran a lot of those uh, high profile cases until eventually I moved to my, my current firm and as time has gone on I've, I've been far more involved not just in trying to push myself as far as I can go but in trying to pull other people through uh, and so very active in the diversity and inclusion uh, arena. Uh, using my profile as best as I can. I mean, I've been lucky that a number of those cases have meant that I've done a lot of um, TV and and uh, radio, and I and I still do um, quite a bit of media, uh, reviewing the newspapers of Vanessa Feltz and various other things. But all of that uh, really has given me a platform to try and uh, pull others uh, through in what has been or started as a lucky career, but actually through hard work, it's become a very fulfilling career for me. Brilliant. Well, it, it sound, by the sounds of it, it was quite a, an eclectic choice you were presented across kind of being a, a law clerk or did you say the first one was a racket stringer? Tennis racket stringer. I didn't even know there was such a job, but yeah, tennis racket stringer. Yeah. Well, I, I guess you, you mentioned, Trevor, about, around the determination to push through. And I, I guess that kind of spoke to me because clearly for you becoming the youngest ever partner at 28 and having to do kind of your legal qualifications on the side as well as having a job 
Where, where did that determination come from? Because it's very evident hearing from you, but I'm keen to explore a bit of, of where do you think that comes from? I think two places really. I had a very um, troubled childhood in the sense that I was brought up in a very racist uh, environment. Racism was far more overt back then. Um, and so that instilled in me a, a sense of wanting to climb as high up the ladder as I could to try and uh, defend myself, if you like, from what society can can throw at you, but also to give me a sense of control, control of my own destiny, um, but also the ability to try and uh, pull others through. So uh, I was always very motivated to to try and make sure I could do as best as I could to as a self-protection mechanism in some ways. But I think the, the primary driver was that of my parents. My parents, uh, part of the Windrush generation, came here in 1959. And what they went through uh, was incredible. Uh, and they did that by way of sacrifice to give me a better opportunity. And and, and that's the same with many of that of the Windrush generation. So it, it was a sense of almost uh, giving them a return and, and a sense that having underachieved, I'd, I'd, I'd failed to do that. So. I was very, very determined to make my, my parents and others like my parents in, incredibly proud um, and also to be able to choose my destiny, if you like, and, and to help others through. So in the end, the better you do, the more you want to do. Um, and so for me, it just became a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in the end. Uh, and everyone, I suppose, has kind of a career low light or something that impacted the way that they kind of uh, moved forwards with their careers and ultimately to played a part in the people or person they, they ended up becoming. And I, I guess for, from my perspective, Trevor, it'd be interesting to find out from you of what would you say was a low light for you or that one moment that something happened that perhaps didn't go to plan and I guess what you did in the moment and then after that to turn it into a positive. I mean... Career-wise, I suppose there are two. One is, you know, I'm in the litigation arena, uh, and I was running a, a very significant case, and we and we lost at the high court, uh, and I was devastated. It was a very tragic case where somebody uh, committed suicide, um, and I remember sitting there feeling this great sense of of disappointment, as if I'd let the family down. But but in the end, you know, we. We appealed and went to the court of appeal, went to the House of Lords and, and we won. And it was the first case of its type since 1957. So it changed the law and it's something which uh, law students um, now study. So that, that's a really, you know, from a low light to really digging in and, and not allowing that to affect me uh, became a highlight. But I think on a personal level uh, through my career, you know, it's been difficult. There have been many times where I've felt I've deserved to break through and, and, and couldn't break through. And that, that was probably the case at my first firm. I could only get to a certain point. And then when I found that there were others that were more like the uh, senior partners in, in that firm that, that were being brought in. Um, and I felt that, you know, I'd been there for over 20 years and I just couldn't quite get to the, the, the top level. Um, and that was really hard for me because I felt I'd given so many years, so much hard work, and yet I couldn't break through what I, what I saw as the glass ceiling. Um, and so I took the decision to leave, which, which, which wasn't an easy decision. I'd never left a job before. 
but I ended up at a, a firm where I felt that they didn't understand who I was as a person. I was very different from everybody else. I didn't feel I could be my authentic self. Um, and it was, you know, a really low moment for me. I felt that I, I deserved um, better, really. And so I left and I, and I joined my, uh, my current firm. And that has been absolutely magnificent. Um, and, you know, all those challenges and obstacles I felt I faced were, were washed away. And, uh, and I've been able to, in, in what is a relatively short period of time, in six, seven years, in fact, six years, to become senior partner and to become the first, you know, black senior partner, as you said, in the top 100 firm. So the challenge of being often one of a kind, you know, and I say that as a, as a, as a black lawyer, a black partner, often I'm, in fact, nearly always I've been the only black partner and often uh, one of only a small number of black uh, lawyers. It makes you different. And um, so, so, you know, being able to break through that uh, has turned a low light into something which I think is, is quite special for me. Yeah, yeah, excellent. Well, I guess building on the, the kind of low light side of things, um, your career clearly has had lots of highlights, but if you were to, to pick maybe one for me, what would that be, Trevor, and why? Yeah, I'm in a fortunate position to say actually it's quite difficult to, to pick a highlight, but I think, um, and I say it because, you know, there's recognition is a nice thing, um, and, and it can shine a light um, so that others feel a sense of hope. So when you win an award or you, or you you do something which is recognised, that's fantastic. But I think for me, the biggest highlight, if you don't mind, I'd like to squeeze in the second one though. Probably, probably yeah. when we unveiled the the statue of Mary Seacole, that was to unveil the statue of the first named black female anywhere in the UK. So that's a tremendous high. On a, on a personal level, uh, it is when I became senior partner at Mulvala because that uh, was an acknowledgement actually, not just to me, but to people like me. I didn't go to university. I wasn't highly academically qualified uh, as, as many are around me, that you can actually break through the glass ceiling and, and, and then some. So to become the first black senior partner in this country in a top 100 firm, um, it's just been you know phenomenal. Um, and it's something which uh, I feel incredibly uh, proud of. And, and you know my ambition is to see a second and a third and a fourth uh, black senior partner. And my ambition is to, to give people a sense of, if I can do it, uh, they can do it. So. For me, that's that's the, the the biggest highlight, and it's a continuing highlight because of the reaction it, it generates elsewhere. Yeah, well, absolutely, and it's brilliant to see, and it's very inspiring, Trevor, for certainly a huge amount of people coming through the ranks, whether it's a kind of school, a college, university, or people that are a little bit further on in their legal careers, and um, because one of the things that I've looked at quite extensively over the last couple of years in particular is the concept of, of seeing is believing. And there's lots of different metrics. There's been lots of different studies and surveys over the last couple of years in particular. But I think one thing that I've certainly noticed is if there isn't that representation right at the top, 
the person or handful of people that are making the ultimate decisions, then it's always going to be a bit harder for, for people like them coming from underneath. Because I've spoken to people that have not applied for certain jobs or been put off certain firms or companies because they haven't seen enough senior black decision makers, whether it's in private practice or an in-house capacity. So I totally agree. And I think it, as I said, it's brilliant to see because it is really inspiring to, to younger aspiring lawyers and existing lawyers to see you at the top of your game and to see you as kind of the first, uh, which is, again, unfortunate that it's the first, but brilliant that it can be you and you can be very proud of, I suppose, everything you've accomplished career-wise and know that there's a huge amount of people that do look up to you and, and think, wow, if if Trevor can get there, then maybe I can, which I think a lot of, a lot of the things that we've looked at is to try and make sure that there is that, uh, I guess, aspiration and people aren't put off before they even start. So yeah, I totally agree on, on that point, Trevor. I guess it brings us nicely to the, the topic around diversity, equity and inclusion. Um, we, we've, we've kind of alluded to it more than likely, but from your perspective, where, 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 where do you get the, the kind of fire to put your name to certain things and to move things forwards in this space? Because there is a lot of talk and there has been a huge amount of talk, particularly with regards to racial diversity over the last couple of years. And again, the legal sector at times can be relatively slow to move things forward. But from your perspective and perhaps a firm perspective, kind of where, where do you get the, the motivation to want to move things forwards more quickly from? Well, well, I, I mean, I, I live in London and I'm, I'm you know, born and bred South London. Uh, and I'm very proud of that. I'm from, from Mitchell. So, so my life has been uh, really one of living in a city which is diverse. Um, and, and our profession uh, represents people within society and therefore has to be representative of society. So for me, it's important that our profession of law is diverse. Uh, there, there is, if we're going to achieve justice, if we're going to achieve fairness for, uh, for people from all different backgrounds, um, then we've got to have organisations, law firms that are representative uh, of them. So it, it, for me, it, it, it's just something which uh, is a necessity. I, I, I can't, you know, if we're going to live in a fair society, then all the mechanisms within our society have to be fair. So as I said before, the, the, the more I do, the more I feel I'm able to do because you have... Uh, credibility, you, you, you have an audience. And therefore, uh, once you're in that position, uh, you, you've really got to, to, to take advantage of that. Um, and, and I think it's really important in all of that, uh, that I remain my authentic self. So when people uh, contact me, uh, I'm very accessible. Uh, I spoke uh, to around 3,000 school children during uh, Black History Month. Uh, I talk openly uh, about issues in relation to uh, diversity and inclusion and equality. Uh, I am critical where, where, where I need to be. And, and I will speak openly, not shouting, uh, because I think that that doesn't help. Uh, I'll speak openly to make sure that we can bring about change. And that's, you know, my firm have been incredibly receptive at that. 
um, but also the profession. If you look at the profession now, we've got the first ever black president of the Law Society. So, so we're seeing change, and I think it's really important that those in my position, the president of the Law Society and others, speak about uh, these issues so we continue to see uh, change. And one fantastic point you made is that it's not enough to make sure that those that are in the profession get treated fairly and can progress through. We've got to make sure that people from diverse backgrounds can get into the profession. And if all you do is look at academics from Russell Group uh, universities, then you're already excluding people. So that the, how we recruit people, what we look for in people, the uh, recruitment agencies we use uh, is incredibly important. And then making sure we've got processes in place where we recognize that you know not everybody's treated fairly. So we've got to make the changes. And then as you quite rightly said, uh, having people in positions of power means that people can see people like them. So therefore I have to be visible. Um, and, and I am. And in being visible, people have got to be able to recognise that I am the same guy that was brought up in Mitchell, uh, unlike everybody else. Yeah. Well, well, very much so. And I think it's kind of representative uh, by the fact that you were very quick and happy to uh, appear on this podcast, Trevor. I only reached out to you probably a couple of weeks or so ago and uh, you kindly booked it in pretty much the same day. So from certainly from my perspective, it's, it's been brilliant to understand a little bit more around your background and your journey. And, and also I've really appreciated how open you've been with, with your position uh, and kind of how you can hopefully continue to drive the change that is absolutely needed. And yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think that with regards to giving people a chance, it, it has to be kind of an ongoing process it isn't enough to simply look at one or two box ticking initiatives or things that might work in isolation it is really about well if companies and firms in particular are looking to make long-lasting change and genuinely open the profession up to to other people from from different groups from different backgrounds then it is an ongoing commitment <laughs> it's an ongoing investment it's not it's not just right we've We've done this for one week, so that's us now in the clear. It's, it's probably um, having some potentially difficult and uncomfortable conversations, doing almost a, an internal audit with regards to processes, with regards to external suppliers, and putting together a full package and, and saying, well, if we want to achieve X, then we probably need to look at a number of different ways together. So, yeah, I think the, that that bit I really, yeah, really spoke to me because... That's something that I, I see, um, but it's interesting, obviously, hearing it back from someone uh, who's kind of the other side of the fence and is actually a practicing solicitor, whereas that was that was never me. I did my law school exams, but I kind of bowed out, gracefully or not, uh, kind of post-LPC. I, I guess one thing that I wanted to dig into, Trevor, was with regards to when you were coming through the ranks, so to speak, did, did you have access or did you have any kind of mentorship and if so, what did that look like? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. I mean, there were those that were in the in the in the profession, uh, and then those that just inspired me anyway. You know, people that we see in society, you recognise. Um, but in the profession, you know, there was 
the person that trained me as a lawyer um, was a guy called John Moore, and he was, uh, you know, technically just fantastic. And so that that really helped me. But then there were those people that would just give me that bit of know-how, keep me calm on those times where I, I started to feel, you know, a bit angry as you, as you do uh, when you when you're frustrated. Peter Carson uh, was another great friend of mine, and um, somebody called Quelan Hurley who uh, really uh, gave me the confidence, uh, as she put it, to, to get around the big table. So these were people that have just given me uh, belief to, to, to be myself, but actually to believe in, in my ability. Uh, and even now, you know, I've got a great uh, mentor in um, someone called Lisa Rodriguez, who's part of the Mary Seacole Trust. So, so these, are, these have been people that have been that quiet word in my ear, the, the, the bit of guidance, the, the ability to teach me to, to self-reflect um, and to, to know my direction of travel and not, not to, to rush, but to take my time and have the belief that I'll, I'll get there. Um, and the, 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 uh, the idea that you, you bring people with you, that that's really important and that you build networks. Um, those networks are important. And all of those people I mentioned, apart from uh, Lisa at the end, are people that I've known over the last, you know, they've mentored me over the last 20 or so years. And yet they're all still friends of mine now. And it's interesting that, that you could have a friend who you meet early on in your career, then later on in your career, they become a peer. Um, and so your circles just change through your network. So I've got people around me that are peers, or there's Dame Elizabeth, there's, you know, there's various other other people that are now around me because they, they've remained part of my network. We've grown together and all of a sudden you're able to make more of an impact because you've got engagements with people in you know, influential and powerful positions. And as long as you can use all of that to bring other people through, as I say, my motto is, you know, you climb the ladder, then you be the ladder. Um, and, and that's, that's incredible. Incredibly important. So those mentors still around me, still friends, I still listen to them, and I mentor, and I've learned how to mentor um, because of the support that they gave me. Yeah, brilliant. And I suppose probably a testament as well, Trevor, to your relationship building skills, that people who started off as mentors in some instance became peers and the circles became slightly different. And that I guess kind of looking back, you... Did, did you know at the time that you were kind of playing the long game or was it just kind of more of a natural thing that you stayed in touch with people and, and things kind of evolved? I, th I think, um, you know, a lot of my friends are friends that go back way back when. And so they, they keep me grounded. They're not, they're not in the law. <laughs> um, and so I, I don't think it's really playing the, the long game, as it were. I just don't think it's something that evolves. And as I say, the, the better you do, the more you want to do it. So... Um, by keeping those people around me, that's kept me really grounded. And those people have always been prepared to be honest with me because they've known me from uh, way back when. So I think the circles around you are, are incredibly important. Of course, you meet new people, but you know how to connect with new people. And I find that by being yourself, by not selling yourself, but by being yourself, People tend to want to connect with you more anyway. And so you end up with a really good, you know, a foundation um, to help others to build on. 
Yeah. We've mentioned a couple of times, Trevor, around being your authentic self and how important that is and how uh, for more Barlow has been incredibly inclusive in that regards. Well, what I guess my, my question is, what what kind of examples or evidence broadly could, could you suggest around like, how a law firm, for example, can enable other people to feel that way? Because it's brilliant to hear. But I'm just thinking in terms of contextualizing that a little bit. How, how are you able to get that feeling from your firm? So, so it starts with how you see yourself. If you believe in yourself, uh, then you're presented as yourself. But a lot of it is also perception. So how I relate to people will make me more relatable too. So, so if I approach something in a way which is respectful um, and you know is honest, then people will tend to listen. So if you go in and you criticize somebody for having not done something, then they're more likely to get defensive. If you go in and you say, look, you know, here's some uh, data which suggests that perhaps we're going in the wrong direction, or, you know, here's, here's a view on something, which is a different view from your view, which is absolutely fine, but you might want to reflect on that and maybe we can make some changes. Then bit by bit, what happens is that people start recognizing that there is an issue and, it, and it's identifying the issue. Data is a great way of identifying issues. by. And once you've got that issue identified, so we, uh, we capture data across our firm around diversity. And once you've got the evidence there, you can say, well, look, clearly there is um, a, an issue. How can we now improve it? And you build a team around you that are going to help you to, to deliver on that. And then you measure uh, the improvements and what you see is bit by bit, um, you see you see growth and you see change. But the perception bit is a really important one. And something which I took from a film called In Pursuit of Happiness, where Will Smith and he's kind of down and out, he's in troubled times and he's trying to get a guy to give him an interview and he jumps in the guy's car and the guy's not interested. And the guy happened to be doing the Rubik's Cube and Will Smith took it from him uh, and whilst having a conversation, just completed the Rubik's Cube uh, and, and gave it back to him. Now, uh, I say it's perception, but it, it, when I'm out and about, people might perceive me a certain way. I carry a Rubik's Cube around with me often because I can do the Rubik's Cube. And it's interesting. If I jump on the tube and people are a bit nervous of me, if I'm out, you know, just dressed casually, if you like, and I pull out this Rubik's Cube and I do the Rubik's Cube and then I put it away, their perception of me has changed. And so one of the key messages that I always give is perception is really important. How you present, uh, how you uh, communicate, um, you know, all of those things are really important. So those are the things, those soft skills um, that I've made sure that I've really kind of focused on. And then knowing what I want to communicate, communicating it, being patient, getting the data and all of those things, and then slowly seeing uh, the change. And when you have change, when you have success, celebrate it. There's not enough celebration of success. So, you know, me being a, the first black senior partner, as a firm, massive celebration. So the firm recognized how important that was, and it was, you know, pushed out as a celebration. So we celebrate at Morbolo our diversity, and that's really important. Brilliant. And I guess on 
Well, on that sort of note, Trevor, um, you, you're probably very well aware that, again, as per the SRA data from 2019 and 2020, which is the most up-to-date data set that, that we have available, black lawyers in the UK have actually gone down from 3% to 2%. From, from your perspective, what would success look like in terms of black representation of lawyers in the UK? Well, I think it's really important to, to recognise and when uh, law firms are thinking in terms of diversity and how they're you know breaking down the, the barriers and challenges, that they realise that there are different uh, races and cultures within uh, the, the diversity table. So uh, some firms say, you know, we've got uh, 22% from ethnic communities uh, in our firm. Aren't we doing well? It's better than the national average. Well, that might be because there are certain groups from ethnic communities that are generally high academic achievers. And all you've done is really taken those with first and two ones, but actually from those ethnic communities that tend to do better academically. So it, it's important that we get more people like me to feel confident you can come into the profession. And then as a profession that we embrace those differences, recognizing that the fact that I didn't go to a university, for example, does not mean that I'm any less able than somebody who did. In fact, it might make me more able because I've had to work incredibly hard to get where I am, more so than someone perhaps who had more of a conventional background. So we've really got to, the data's important. Success for me is to look at seeing more black lawyers the way to do that is to make sure there are more black leaders. And if we have more black leaders, we will find that those recruitment processes will change to a not so academically focused, perhaps that would be one area, but also we will see more people believing that if they come into the profession, uh, they can achieve success. So more people will want to come into the profession. And when they do come into the profession, hopefully they will be within a profession which is representative of society, which is diverse. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you, you talked a little bit earlier, Trevor, around your data-led approach and not shouting, maintaining calm uh, in situations that could be, could be difficult. How have you honed that? Because clearly in your role and judging by some of what you've intimated across some of the, the barriers that you've faced, I imagine that you've probably had a number of uncomfortable situations and conversations. What, what I'm interested in is how have you developed to the, the ability to maintain calm in those sort of scenarios when the temptation could be to raise your voice or lose your cool or kind of get a little bit heated in the moment? I think it was a recognition that um, we, we have to live with stereotypes. And the stereotype of somebody like, you know, like uh, a black man, for example, is, is a negative one often. And so if I play to the stereotype, um, I'm, I'm going to be less effective. What I need to be um, is somebody who breaks down the stereotype um, and be an ambassador for all the things that we really are as opposed to how we might be perceived by others that just don't know us. Um, and so for me, that calmness 
um, is because I'm very conscious that there is a negative perception sometimes of somebody like me and I'm playing into it by responding in a certain way. So I've learned to be, and by the way, I, I am a calm person <laughs> anyway, um, but I've learned to make sure that when I'm in a position of conflict, um, that what I'm able to do is just to reflect, um, as I say, communicate in a way. I think words are a powerful weapon of communication and you can convey emotion strongly in the words that you use um, without uh, being too angry and without being so frustrated that actually you're not communicating straight. Um, and, and it's just common, your common sense in a way that when we're angry and we're responding on an emotional level, often we're not communicating at our best. And that's a lesson that I've learned. If I stay calm in a situation, then actually those words tend to land more powerfully. Um, and that's a better way to affect change. Yeah, very well said. Yeah, highly, highly commendable. It's, it's, it's fascinating understanding a bit more around, I suppose, how you've been able to channel and have that focus because it certainly comes across speaking to you, Trevor. Um, I feel like we could talk about things for a very long time, uh, but I guess my, my final point would be if we go back again a couple of years, give or take, um, and you were starting off in your legal career again, but today... What's the one bit of advice that you'd give your 17, 18-year-old self and why? Um, believe in yourself. You know, believe in yourself. Choose your road. Choose your destination. Drive along that road and be patient. But don't be in a rush. Be patient. Get there and you'll get there um, safely. So... I lacked a lot of confidence when I was starting out and I didn't believe in myself really because I'd underachieved at school. When I did believe in myself because I started passing exams and I started achieving success, then I realized that actually I could choose my destiny, choose my direction. Um, and then it was about how I got there. Um, and and that, that's something which if I'd learned that earlier on, I perhaps wouldn't have underachieved at school. Uh, and it wouldn't have been just pure luck uh, that I ended up uh, in the law. Having said that, I suspect if I'd become a tennis racket stringer, I'd like to think I would have become the best tennis racket stringer there was. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, Trevor Sterling, many thanks for joining me today. It's been a fascinating conversation. Uh, I've loved having you on and uh, very much appreciate your time. It's been a pleasure and thank you for all you do and thank you for giving me uh, a voice. Thank you for, for standing up and being counted and thank you for using your position to, to affect positive change within the legal sector. Uh, it's brilliant to see you at the top of your game. It's brilliant to see and hear about people that have, have seen your posts and seen your work and seen the things that you do and um, you'll probably never know the extent of the people that you've inspired but Rest assured, um, you have and will continue to do so. So keep it up, Trevor. Um, you're doing a brilliant job. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Black Lawyers Matter podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, and leave a review. 
Every time you do, it helps others to find the show. For more information on how Black Lawyers Matter is helping to unlock opportunities for black professionals in law, head over to blacklawyersmatter.co.uk. For more information on how the Stephen James Partnership is addressing underrepresentation in the legal space, head over to thesjp.co.uk. Join us next time for more of the Black Lawyers Matter podcast.